What up, my let's keep it real people? I'll tell you what's up. Money. Big topic. We all like it, love it, need it. We can have a lot of fun with it. We definitely need it for retirement, but it's something we don't like to talk about. For many of us, we feel guilty for not saving enough or spending too much and getting that instant gratification. Well, what I love, well, I love a lot of things about my next guest, but as far as money, 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 what I love is she has a plan that we can save money a little bit now to make a huge difference in the future, but she also gets rid of the guilt, explains how we're wired and why we like seeing it right there. Money in hand, ooh, gotta have. And when you do that and you realize why you do things, it's much easier to set up a system that works for you, have fun spending, and still save. Two minutes in one. Enjoy. I know for sure everyone is going to want to share this. Like it, rate it, and please subscribe. You know how much that means to me. And you guys are the bomb. I mean, I got the best listeners in the world. You support my workshops. You send me keynotes. You buy my books. Love you guys. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. Money, 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 money. Every time. I have somebody on about money. You say to me, why do you wait so long? So this time, my next guest was on the live show for women. Hey, I got something to say. And the guys saw it and they're like, what about us? So we're bringing Ann Lester on Let's Keep It Real for everyone. So before I do, though, let me tell you a little bit about her. Ann was the former portfolio manager and head of retirement solutions for JP Morgan Asset Management Solution Group. <laughs> She's so young, but she retired in 2020. She is on a mission to help Americans, particularly those in their 20s and 30s, understand that it's possible for them to achieve a happy retirement, <laughs> which is why she's so young and retired, on their time and target. She continues to be a regular commentator on an array of retirement issues for consumers, industry, and public policy through traditional media outlets and social media. She is currently working on a book which will help younger, listen to this, younger savers understand how to overcome their own behavioral biases and set out on a path to long-term savings and success. Oh my goodness, Anne. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How the heck are you? We just saw each other like last week, right? At a family. It was just a couple of days ago. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, we we just saw each other a couple of days ago and I'm I'm doing great. I'm actually at a conference here in Washington on employee, uh, the the, uh, EBRI, which used to be Employee Benefits Research Institute, uh, hosts on data and statistics about retirement savings. And I've had a great uh, couple of days geeking out. Oh, (laughs) geeking out. And so I got to hit you right with this because we had a lot of questions come in about money, no matter all ages. And the biggest thing that they wanted to know was, da, da, da. Were you always great at saving money because they suck wad at it? Now, I might have taken some liberties with the suck wad, but that was the general consensus. No, I I was terrible at it. And I actually, you know, now that I'm working on this book, wonder if the reason I wanted to go into retirement savings and investing um, as a job is because I was like the kids who study psychiatry or psychology in college trying to figure themselves out, right? Because I, I was terrible at it. I was terrible at it until we were in our, my husband and I were in our late 30s or early 40s. Uh, Whoa. I, yeah, I was terrible. I did everything wrong. So so one of the things I want to do is help people, you know, like my kids are 23 and 25 right now or almost. And I just want to help people understand the consequences of decisions and choices that they don't know they're making. 
right? Mm. When they're especially starting out. And if you don't know you're making a decision, how can you change it, right? If you don't understand what the decision is or what the consequences will be. So that's part of why I'm so excited to be here talking to you about this stuff. Well, I know a big thing from just chatting with you a bit and seeing some of your keynote is you're trying to make this guilt-free. You want to have people not feel bad that they weren't good at it. Well, and, you know, maybe it's, this is like, you know, giving everybody too much information about myself. But honestly, you know, one of the things I struggled with, and it still do, frankly, as I ate a cookie after lunch today, was like deciding I want to do something and then, you know, putting myself in temptation's way and then failing my little moral test. And I think a lot of people frame all kinds of behaviors like that, right? Uh, but savings is one of them. And it's so easy to you know, tell yourself, well, next month I'll do X better and then find yourself in the same place you were last month looking at, you know, your bank balance and thinking I can't afford that or worse, you know, running it up on a credit card because you, you need it or you want it or sometimes those two are kind of hard to tell apart. So yeah, for me, one of the most important things is realizing that a lot of the way we behave is, you know, a choice, yes, but also a lot of it has to do with the way our brains are wired. And, you know, we're not wired to make long-term rational financial decisions. We're <laughs> wired to grab what's in front of us. And yes. that's just like genetic, you know, that's millennia of evolution saying, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And guess what? That's a saying because it's true. So if you see something you need or want, your brain is going to kind of manipulate you into grabbing it, even if, you know, an hour or two later or the next day or the next month or, you know, when you get your credit card bill, you go, why on earth did I think I needed that? It's a thing. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, uh, okay, I'm just going to dime my husband out because he is the spender in the family. But during quarantine, man, did he shop online and for stuff he really mm. didn't need. Like he has 30,000 pairs of sneakers and now we got 30,000 in one. And I couldn't understand it. Was it because it was new and shiny? Yet? I don't get it. Well, you know, for a lot of us, so, so there are a couple different things. Like one is literally our brain wiring and that, you know, literally something you have today is worth more than you than getting it tomorrow. So there have been studies done that show that, you know, you have to pay somebody a lot more money to get them to wait just a week to get the money. Like I could give you $50 today or X next week, right? And you tell me mm -hmm. what X is that you would be happy waiting a week to get it. Ah. For some people who are super rational, it's $55. Some people need a hundred bucks to make them wait a week. Mm. Otherwise they'd rather have $50 today than a hundred dollars next yeah, week. Yeah, I get because, that. Because like I, I want it now, like I don't want to wait. And so some of that is like brain wiring. And then I think for other behaviors, maybe like uh, a shopping, um, you know, you're also getting emotional gratification that's a different kind of gratification from the act of shopping. Like, I'll be honest, I'm a shopper, I'm a spender. I really, you know, I love to go to the grocery store because I get to buy stuff, right? So, yeah, like, I really yeah, enjoy yeah. grocery shopping. I mean, I like to cook too, but. But part of it is just like, I like, I like putting things in my basket and getting them. And, you know, most of the time they're pretty sensible choices and most of the time we need it. So like, I can feel good about it. I love my husband's way. like, do you want me to go, go, go grocery shopping for us? And I'm like, no, no, I'll do it. I like it. And he just gives me this look like, really? Like, oh, you are sad. But so some of it is like, just, it's an emotionally gratifying experience for me. And like, you know, some of this is just know yourself and know how you're wired. And that yeah. is again, talking about shame and blame, like to getting out of that shame, blame, cycle for yourself. Some of us just understanding how you're made. Like I know yeah. I love to shop for clothes and I really deliberately didn't set foot in my favorite clothing store in the town I live in like during COVID because I knew I didn't need any new clothes. And I knew if I went in and worse, tried something on that was cute, I'd buy it. So I yeah. was just like, I'm not doing it. Like I'm not putting myself in the position to make a decision I know gotcha. I will regret because I know in the moment I won't be able to say no. Hmm. Okay, well, you just answered three big questions for me. Oh, sorry. Number I one. I all excited. <laughs> Number one, my husband, who's the shopper, also loves to grocery shop. So that makes sense. And I hate it. So that makes total sense to well, me why go, he is right? willing to this do the grocery shopping. Secrets for a happy marriage. <laughs> now I get it. Number two, you could never reveal too much of yourself. We like the vulnerability. It makes everyone feel human and that it's okay, whatever they do. 
Okay. And number three, I love the analogy of the cookie because I'm not a sweet person, but I'm a salty person. So I just don't put chips in my eyesight. Not that I won't have it for the family because they like it, but it's up in a cabinet way high where only the tall guys can reach. I don't have it right out. Now you could put the Oreos right in front of me and I'd be like, eh, because I know me. I don't want to have to get the chair unless I'm desperate to get the chips. Is that the same thing? It's exactly the same thing. So oh, it is? It's, oh, good. it's so interesting. Food is such a great proxy for this or exercise or any one of the many, many things we know we're supposed to do. So right, framing it as a supposed to makes me not want to do it. Like it's yeah, the 10 yeah. year old in me saying, you're not the boss of me. But exactly. Um, so for instance, to, uh, literally like this just happened to me and I'm kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Um, so, you know, COVID, I got into the sourdough bread breaking thing, which has had, you know, the uh, entirely predictable consequences for my wardrobe. And I'm like, oh, I really need to lose 10 pounds. So, so I'm like, all right, I'm back in the world now. I actually have to start wearing like grown up clothes again. So like, it's time to like, I don't want to buy any more clothes. I got plenty of clothes. So how can I fix this? And it's like, okay, you got to lose 10 pounds. So I'm like, okay, today I'm not going to have any cookies. And if I were at home, there aren't any cookies in the house. So guess what? That's pretty darn easy, but I'm at a conference, right? And I go through the lunch line, I'm walking out the door and I'm like, oh, there's this really interesting chocolate fudge cookie with mint chips in it. I just want to taste it. Okay, there I am. If I hadn't yeah. seen it, I wouldn't have done it. So some of it is knowing what rules you need to create for yourself to minimize, I didn't say eliminate, because I think that's a really high bar, yeah. Perfection is not what we're striving for here. We're, we're striving for pretty good um, to eliminate, <laughs> oh right, or reduce the the chances for going off the rails. And, you oh. know, with our money, you know, the easiest way to create a life hack is to start saving it before you have to make a decision. You literally just want to get it out of your hands before you can spend it. And so, you know, one of the reasons 401k plans are so successful, if you've got access to one at work is because they take the money out of your account before you see it, right? Uh, you can do the yes, same thing yes. with savings. You can set up a savings account at your bank and have the money leave before you see it. If you don't have a 401k plan at work, you can do the same thing with an IRA, you know, an individual retirement account to save for retirement. And the first step is not making yourself choose because if i sit in front of the tray for me of cookies right i'm going to choose to eat one because that's what i do yeah so yeah. don't give yourself the choice like you with the chips put them out of sight yeah. if i don't see them i'm not going to get that that emotional or whatever trigger to eat them yeah yeah okay so with investing would you advise like you were talking about 401k should they have other things set up that comes right out and that way you're not like you can't spend it. So let's just say you are a shopper and you love buying clothes and groceries and whatever. Then if you save even, I don't know, 100, 200, $500 a month and it comes right out, you're not tempted because it's not there. Well, it's not there if you don't have a big old credit card line that you tap oh, into, right? Oh, so it's, you, you got to, you got to, right? Let's, there's always a way, right? I mean, again, let's not take the <laughs> analogy too that. far, but like, you know, if you really want a cookie, you can find a cookie. But but what we want to do is eliminate the the accidental stuff that you, you know, if you stopped and thought about it, like if you make it hard enough to do like, you know, your chip example, right? If you really want a chip, you're going to go eat the chips. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but it's not easy. you make it hard. Right. Yeah. And you have to make a really deliberate choice. Like literally just don't take your credit cards. Don't don't carry your credit cards with you. That'll help impulse sales. Don't don't save your credit card number in your web browser. Don't have them near your computer. So you have to stand up and walk. To, it's like you just break that moment where, gotcha. you know, it's so easy, you know, to click. And then if your information is there, you just go zip. It's like invisible. It's like paying with Apple Pay, right? Bling. You know, it's almost fun. Um, yeah. If you make it a little bit harder, just that moment of delay is so helpful in having you stop and think about it, just like your chair to get the chips. It's the great, yeah. it's the perfect example. So, so, so back to your question, right? If you have it taken out of your account, right? 401k is, is a classic for a reason, but I would say even before retirement savings or maybe alongside of it, people should be setting up an emergency savings fund yeah. because, yeah. and this is a statistic that's been out there for a couple of years, but I think it was the, the treasury did a survey a couple of years before COVID and like in 2018 and said that like fewer than half of American households could come up with $400 
to fix a car without borrowing the money either on a credit card or some other way. Aww, like they just yeah. couldn't like, so if you think about it, like if you need yeah. to fix your car to go to work and you can't get your car fixed, like that is a crisis. So emergency savings is actually the first priority I would say to, to set up yes. savings for. Yeah. Because if you have that emergency savings fund, if anything goes wrong, you're not, you know, facing catastrophe and you don't have to pull it out of your retirement savings. Right. A lot of people treat their 401k plans like piggy banks. And if you need the money and it's the only place you have it and it's like literally a matter of like not being able to get to work. Yeah, you should use it. But that should be your last thought, not your first thought. Your first thought should be emergency savings. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I've been there as a young person. Like, what the heck? I'm going to have to hitchhike to work because I can't fix my car. And I had mm -hmm. to borrow money. I've been there. Okay. So let's circle back around to you chatting with us about the fact that you didn't really save money until you were in your 30s and 40s, right? You were not good at money at all. What changed? Like, was there something that happened that was the light bulb going off that was made this radical difference? So a couple things changed. It is, it is, you know, I can't help but say that like we started earning a little more money and that helps, right? Like, let's mm -hmm. be honest, a little more coming in is part of the equation here. So that helped. But what really stopped the cycle, because, you know, guess what? When you get a raise, it's really easy just to spend more money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I need a nicer vacation. I need a yeah, nicer yeah, car, yeah. right? Ooh, I can afford this now. So up you go, right? So the trick to not sliding like your lifestyle up and putting a hold on it is really, again, first and foremost, to start understanding why you're doing these things and to forgive yourself for them. And so for me, that critical moment came when I actually started learning about how our brains work because I had to learn about this stuff for my job. Oh. So my job was to design and build retirement funds, target date funds, right? So I used to work at JP Morgan and I developed and helped manage JP Morgan's target date funds, which are funds, mutual funds, that are designed for people saving for retirement. And as part of that, I learned a lot about behavioral economics, right? Or the study about how our brains interact with money decisions. And what I learned made me feel a whole lot better about myself, right? I learned a couple of important things. One, this thing that I said earlier about prioritizing today in front of tomorrow, right? That's why if you see something and you want it, your brain is saying, buy it now, because who knows if it'll be there tomorrow. And if, you know, you imagine, you know, however many thousands of years ago when we were hunter gatherers and you saw some food, you didn't say, oh, I'm going to, I'll leave that there because maybe I'll want it tomorrow. No, you grabbed it and ate it right now because <laughs> who knows about tomorrow. Exactly. So, so this is nothing to beat yourself up for. It's something to accept and say, oh, I know I'm going to do this. How can I hack myself to make sure what I'm, I'm not making myself make that choice all the time? Because having to make that choice all the time is exhausting. And I know I'll lose a lot. Like sometimes you've got the willpower, but sometimes you don't. So how can I just make, make myself less likely to have this choice to make? So again, saving automatically. People call it paying yourself first. That's a classic one. So for me, it was this massive insight that this is not because I'm a bad person or I'm stupid or, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm ignorant. It was like, oh, this is just what I do. Okay, well, okay, how do I stop doing it? And it took the moral weight out of it. Isn't that crazy how guilt stops us so many times from getting what we want? It's crazy. I like some people, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, no, guilt's a good thing. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I think doing anything out of guilt isn't good. It really doesn't. Like you said, once you stop feeling bad about what you were doing, you were able to change the behavior. Well, and, and I think different people respond to, you know, positive and negative emotions differently. I think for many, many people, like some people might find that guilt whip or what will people say or... Oh my God, I don't want people to think badly of me. So I'll like be good. Like for some people that works as a motivation. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> kind of prime to go the opposite way, frankly. But, um, yeah. you know, so, so again, some of this is just learning. And, and frankly, just some of this is growing up and like come, becoming at peace with some of your own behavioral stuff. So, yeah. you know, one of the pieces of coaching I got at work once was at a certain point in your career, you stop trying to get better at stuff you just suck at. And you go, you know what, I'm never going to fix that. Why don't I lean in harder to the stuff I know I do really well? Mm. And and it's kind of a way of thinking about all kinds of problems. Like I have terrible handwriting and I'm terrible at filing paper. So like I just do everything I can to avoid 
having to be responsible for paper because I know I'll lose it or, you know, lose track yeah, of yeah. it or not. Right. So like I stopped trying to get better at it and just thought, let's just accept and acknowledge that I stink at this and I'll never get any better. What do I have to do to make sure like I forget to file my taxes? Because that would be, you know, really bad. So, <laughs> so some bad. of it is, it would be really bad. So like some of this is just how do I set up systems or hacks, yeah. right, to, to keep me out of trouble. And it's yeah. the same thing with food. It's the same thing with money. You know, I think yeah. it's a little harder harder for exercise because you have to really get, do that on purpose. It's not like you can just <laughs> avoid it. So, Yeah, but, you know, I'm so happy that you did talk about the food thing at the beginning because, you know, <laughs> my background in health and fitness, my biggest thing thing and it's the same thing you're trying to do with money is get people to accept who they are and not feel bad for their choices and decisions and then what can we do that fits you and your personality without it being so extreme you're miserable but a majority of the time of my coaching is getting rid of them being ashamed of the decisions they've made and being embarrassed and I'm sure you deal with the same thing with money same thing. And, and it's all about image and, and, you know, a lot of it comes from, so, so like I said, some of it is like your innate brain wiring. Some of it's what you get taught at home sure. and the modeling and whether that was a positive or negative experience. So if there was really positive modeling, like you learn it and do it, if it was negative modeling or there was negative emotion around it, you maybe want to do the opposite. Right. So back to my 10 year old, you aren't the boss of me comment, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and I think part of growing up, and I, I don't mean like turning 18, I mean, like part of this evolution that we're all on as human beings is to start understanding who we are and why we are the way we are. And, you know, like we've both said, if you start from a place of accepting where you are, it's really easy to decide where to go. But if you haven't accepted where you are, I mean, if you think about it, like a map, like yeah. if you can't accept physically where you are in space, you don't know how to get where you're going, like literally. Like, you know, where am I? I don't know Then I don't know which direction to move now. But if you say, here I am, this is me, then you can say, okay, you know, what do I want to change and what can I change? And, you know, some of those things are beyond your control, but some of them aren't. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm a true believer in highlighting your unique gifts and the ones you're not great at, <laughs> I call bring in the powers to be, bring in my team, you know, I mean, delegate. And you say this all the time, let someone else invest your money. But the biggest mm -hmm. question I got about that, Anne, which I was shocked about because I let people see what you were going to talk about. And my peep said, but Sandy, I don't know who to trust. Like ask yeah. Anne, how do we know who to trust? Because They've seen, especially the younger ones, some of their parents have really bad experiences. So I, yeah. I didn't know what to tell them. So I said, I'll ask her. So as with almost everything, the answer is it depends, right? So, you know, what I would say in general is if you're just starting out saving and you've got your emergency fund set up and you want to start now saving or longer term goals, let's just use retirement, right? If you work for a company that has a 401k plan, you can trust it. Yeah. Like they're not gonna steal your money. They are legally obligated to make decisions in your best interest as a fiduciary. This is like technical language, but as somebody who your employer is legally re required to act in, in your best interest, not theirs or not the service provider. And by that, I mean, if it's a Fidelity or a Vanguard or a, okay. you know, where I used to work, JP Morgan, right? So you can trust that. Now, okay. they're not all perfect. And some of them might make mistakes. And every once in a while, you hear about somebody who does something so bad that they get sued. Yeah. And there's like, you know, a but like, you can trust that. Okay, cool. Check. If you're saving for yourself, and you want to invest it, and you don't have very much money saved up yet, and I'm talking like less than, I don't know, twenty-five dollars or $50,000, you're probably better off starting with a do-it-yourself kind of investment, again, with a name brand company like a Vanguard or a Fidelity 
or your bank, you know, if you bank okay. at Chase, okay. if you bank at Bank of America, if you bank at Wells Fargo, like they'll all have investment solutions that are designed. Some of them now have what I'd call a robo advisor that are pretty cost effective. And what you want to do is start investing in a balanced portfolio. They're called balanced or diversified portfolios or okay. a target date fund. Target and, and the date? reason I'm saying target date, yeah. So the reason I'm saying go with like a brand name, like the names I mentioned, mm -hmm. is because they're highly reputable. You know, any one of those firms will like tell you why they're better than somebody else. That used to be my job telling you why JP Morgan was better. But honestly, they're all pretty good. They're all going to give you something good. They'll treat you fairly. Um, you don't have to worry about getting ripped off. I love that. the market might go down yeah. as we've yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might lose that. money, but it's it's you know like that's that's part of this long term investment thing, right? The market hasn't gone down for a really long time. It's going down now. It will for a little while. Then it'll go back up again. Yeah. Um, the reason I say balanced or diversified or target date, and I'll explain all those. Yeah, is because that's what I mean by letting someone else manage your money. So when you invest your money, you're buying typically stocks, which represent companies, right? So you're buying a share of that yeah. company. Yeah. And if the company yeah. does well, the stock goes up yeah. or you're buying bonds and bonds are are debts, right? So they're mm -hmm. they're like a mortgage, right? Or they're like, you know, you owing somebody money. And so the, you basically the company essentially is borrowing from you and the bond explains how much they've borrowed and how fast they have to pay you back. So gotcha. those are gotcha. typically the two ways you invest your money. Now, if you want to, you can go to Robinhood or go to one of these, you know, online trading platforms and try to pick these things by yourself. Mm. But if you pick one company or five companies, odds are you might pick a stinker. Yeah. Yeah. If you invest in a mutual fund or an ETF that invests in a lot of companies, you're not going to risk, you know, buying the one company that goes down. Now you also won't buy the one company that does the best, but let's be honest, like that's really easy to do. You know, if you're reading the papers and talking to your friends about, oh yeah, if only I'd put all my money in Tesla, think how rich I'd be. Okay, well, guess what? Now, there are a lot of companies that would have seemed like just a good idea at the time that would have been terrible. Mm. So, yeah, you know, if you're if you're not an expert and most people aren't, you know, best 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 advice is to buy into a fund or an ETF. And what those two words mean is just a collection yeah, of stocks yeah, yeah. and bonds that somebody else does the picking and rebalancing for you. So you don't have to go in there gotcha. and then get prone to a super common thing, which is managing your own fear and greed. Because what happens when the market starts going down is it's really easy to panic and go, oh, no, I'm losing money. I should sell everything. Yes. And then yes. what happens? The market goes back up and you're sitting there going, I don't want to buy again. It's pretty scary. Maybe it'll go down. I'm just going to wait. And then the market goes up a lot. And then you go, oh, it feels better now. I'm going to buy now because I know it's, it's now. And then what happens? The market goes down again. So that's the opposite of what you should do, basically. So a lot of young kids did hit me up. What does Anne think about the fact I did invest in AMC? Well, see now, individual <laughs> company names are prone to whether it's GameStop or AMC or any one of these other things. Like if you're getting your investment advice on a subreddit somewhere, you are at massive risk for being manipulated. Gotcha. Gotcha. Somebody made a whole bunch of money buying GameStop and AMC and selling it right when everybody on those subreddit threads was saying, yeah, you should buy this thing. It's amazing. And they all quietly sold. You had to buy it from somebody and they made a boatload of money at your expense. That's what I'll say. Ooh, and call it like it is. I love that. I'm sorry. You know, like there's always <laughs> one guy who's going to be I out there you. saying, oh, look at all the money I made. And you know what? Everybody who lost money is going to go, oh, yeah. I actually didn't do very well. Do you see anybody talking about it? No, because they're embarrassed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. I mean, you're, you know, if you're you're hanging out with your friends, you're all going to talk about, yeah, I bought crypto and look how it's doing. And yeah, nobody's going to be, oh, I was a sucker who bought it, you know, at the top and it's like worth a quarter of what it was. Like, you're not going to say it. Yeah. 
That's a whole bunch of behavioral economics explains all of that behavior. People are really predictable. Here's one of my favorite behavioral finance stories, right? You get into a room of 100 people. You ask everybody who thinks they're an above average driver to raise their hand. And guess what? Everybody raises their hand. Ah. Definitionally, in Ah. that room, half the people Ah. have to be below average. Like (laughs) if you say, in this room, are you an above average driver given everybody in this room? And I, I guarantee you almost every single hand will go up. Yes, of course. Right. So it's the same thing when you invest money. You think I'm, I'm not going to be that sucker. Well, guess what? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> well, sorry, people. That's sorry. I, I know that was a little harsh. So, so <laughs> no, it is now, a... now, here's the thing. Though, keep Sandra. it real. <laughs> Let's keep it real. That's the name of the if, podcast. If you want to hmm, enjoy the experience of investing in an individual company and you know it is fun to dig into the information and understand what they're doing and read the annual report and like think oh i like this product i bet it'll go somewhere like that's kind of fun like you almost kind of feel like you're helping to build something sometimes like go for it but don't do it with all of your money do it with five percent of your money do it with the money that you would take for a weekend in las vegas Yes. Do it with your entertainment budget because that's what it is. And unless and until you have proven that you know how to do this really well and can make more money than the averages of the market, you should not be doing this with all your money. And let me tell you, most people can't do this. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But I do (laughs) want to go back to the Vegas thing because even if I'm in a pool for March Madness with only... 20 bucks. It's fun. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. have 5,000 in it, but it's fun. So I do agree. If you want to look into a company and take a small amount, it could be exciting and fun. And if you lose it, oh, well. Yeah. You just, you know, there are investment clubs, there's ways of, you know, and you know, honestly, some of the people who got swept up into the GameStop AMC stuff were probably investing like this. Like it's, an interesting way to spend money and time and if that's something you find community with and you enjoy it and it doesn't make you angry and you don't find yourself losing sleep and all that stuff like i think it's kind of interesting i mean you're talking to a woman who did this professionally for a really long time so yeah it's super fun i used to trade foreign exchange and let me tell you how that was super fun but um (laughs) you know you need to have a lot of rules and boundaries and a process and like rules about when you sell and when you buy and you have to keep track of how you're doing and be honest about it. And most people also can't do that, right? And so again, limit how much you can lose, like never invest more money in a single thing. I don't mean like your retirement savings. I I mean like buying AMC or GameStop, then you're prepared to lose because you could lose a lot of it. Yeah, good advice. That's not true for retirement investing. For long-term investing, you don't have to worry about that because if you're invested in a mix of stocks and bonds and you're not going to touch it for 30 or 40 years, like let it go. Okay. I got it. All right. I, I, we had so many questions come in. We can't get to them all. You guys, you know, it's just <laughs> going to be difficult, but this one I want to go to. So this, we'll call this guy, Billy Bob. Billy Bob worked for a company for many years. He got let go and he blew through, he had savings and he blew through most of it just living to keep his home and his family until he found work, which he did. Yay, Billy Bob. But here he is now in his, I guess he's early 50s, 52, and no savings left. Where should he go and how can he start investing again? And again, of course, he feels horrible, but that's how he survived. Not sure if he made the right decisions. He probably should have kept some aside, but that's how he paid his mortgage and kept his kids in college. That is such a difficult situation. So I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that they're magic answers here. Like, you know, the most important thing that you can do for yourself is give yourself time. And sometimes, you know, life takes that away from us. So there you are. So, you know, A, my heart goes out to you because that is just hard. Um, B, not to forget that you will have social security. And I know people get all like, oh, social security won't be there for me. Guess what? It'll be there. Okay. Um, you'll Yay. get your social security checks. You know, for people who are today in their 20s and 30s, it may look a little different for them, but guess what? It changed for us too. Like they raised the age from 65 to 67. You know, I mean, like there may be some tweaks on the, on the there will have to be some tweaks to it. Like, don't get me wrong. It's going to change a little bit, but it's not going away. Okay. So 
you're not you're not going to have nothing because you'll have social security so it may not be enough but it's something um second thing is and i'm sure that experience of losing your job and losing your income made you look long and hard about how you were spending money but the the kindest gift you can give yourself now is to continue living conservatively and not revert immediately back to your pre like job loss standard ah. of living because what you want to do is try to stick with that frugality for a while until you can start building those savings back up. Ooh. Yeah, that's right because he's probably so excited he could go out to dinner and go away, but Well, hold yeah, on and now. like you know, I'm a big believer in not like being hyper frugal because I think that t- takes all the joy out of life, but you know, if you're in your 50s and having to rebuild your savings, you don't have time and time is like the most important you know, if this was a math exercise, it's the biggest lever you've got in really making your retirement savings grow for the long term. And, you know, if in your 50s, even your late 40s, like time is not on your side anymore. So, yeah. you know, you, you need to think seriously about working longer. You need to think seriously about not snapping back to your former lifestyle until you've, you know, repaid as much of put back into the kitty as much as you can. And then if your income, if you're lucky enough to have income go up anymore, you need to save all of it. <laughs> all right, Billy Bob. That's not, I know, I mean, we're keeping it real, right? I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, think about the profession you're in, because if you're in the kind of job that you can keep doing, or you can see that you're in a field where you might be able to get gig work or part-time work, right? That that helps the equation a lot too. But yeah. But it's you know, unfortunately, and, 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 and really, unfortunately, too many Americans find themselves in that position. But it, mm-hmm. it is just, you know, it's a reality, you're going to have to work longer, and you won't be able to live as well as you might have had that not happened. And I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Because that's yeah. a heartbreaker. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I love that you've pointed out, do not be worried that Social Security won't be there, because we have heard that said. Absolutely. And something else I want to remind people is, especially once you're retired or leaving the formal workplace, you know, you hung on to your house. Hopefully there's a bunch of equity in that. It is possible to downsize. It is possible to change states, right? Mm -hmm. To live in a state that's more retirement friendly from a tax perspective, from a property tax perspective, right? There's a whole bunch of ways once you no longer need, and frankly, these days anymore, you know, depending on your job, you don't even need to be where your job is to live, right? So you can think about managing your expenses more aggressively your kids will be out of college right there's there's going to be a lot of ways that you find your spending dropping and in fact that's another piece of data that um i can share that spending generally drops as you get older Hmm. so you may not need as quite as much money as you thought you did you just start doing less stuff as you get older you know what that's true there you go see there's light at the end of the tunnel billy bob you already did all that great stuff Now, now enjoy the family in your home. I, I love that. And, and you're right. He, he could downsize. You know, he could downsize and still enjoy his life and have fun. Okay, let's switch gears and go the complete opposite direction. For my kids in their 20s that just got out of college, a bunch of them asked, please ask Ann, what should be my goal for how much I save per month? Keep in mind, I'm just... I'm just out of college, fresh new jobs. I got that a lot. Okay, so I'm going to answer this question a couple different ways because, again, my answer is it depends. Okay, so number one, your number one priority should be building up that emergency savings fund for three to six months of living expenses. Okay, three to six months. So that's what you're spending for rent, for transportation, for like just how much you're spending every month. You have at least three times that and maybe six times that. Okay, cool. If you're working for an employer who has a 401k plan or another kind, some of them, sometimes these are called 403b plans. There's like different alphabet soup names for these things. But if you've got a workplace retirement plan, you should start saving into that at least enough to get what's called the company match. Most companies will give you dollar for dollar some fraction of what you're saving. Okay. Company match. Company match. So... You know, a lot of companies will match 50% of what you save up to 6%. And so these are always calculated as a percent of your salary. So keep the math easy. These are nice round numbers. I know nobody's earning this much out of college, but if you're earning $100,000 a year, 
if you save 3% of that every year or three, you know, if you, I'm sorry, if you save 6% of that every year, $6,000 a year, your company will also put in $3,000 a year. Oh, oh, that's Magic cool. Money. This is one of the reasons why 401k plans are so great. So different companies, like some will match on the first 5%, some will match 10, like they're all different, but there is a company match in almost every plan. So you want to get at least the free money. So that should be your goal is emergency savings fund and getting to the match. That might be aggressive. Like a lot of people can't afford to save five or 10% of their salary when they're starting, save something, put in a couple percent to start. And then here's the trick. Every time you get a raise, increase your savings, save half of your raise. Half of your raise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, like, but like you said at the beginning, it's hard, especially when you're young, because you just in pocket, out pocket, right? So it, it's, it's the reality. So if you can just save a little bit into your emergency fund and a little bit into your retirement fund, just keep doing it. And guess what? In a year or two, you will find that you've probably saved up your emergency mm-hmm. fund. And especially if you get a bonus or a tax refund, that goes into your emergency fund, at least half of it. And then you keep raising your savings rate every year until you are saving at least 10% of your salary into your retirement plan. So this is what you want to do, right? This is your next journey going after the young people, right? And helping Mm -hmm, them. mm -hmm. And I know you spoke about that a little bit at the beginning, but just tell us why just why do you want to do that so much why did you retire and then really shift gears so you know we talked about it i I want to help people understand that you're making decisions that are going to really affect the rest of your life when you start spending money in your 20s you're setting behaviors and patterns you are establishing a lifestyle level and you're you're creating a way you think about your own value and your relationship with money. And a lot of times that doesn't involve thinking about paying yourself to saving for yourself in the future. Mm. So number one, it's just a good habit. And the earlier you start, the better. But here's here's the really important thing. The dollars that you save in your 20s are going to be worth like six times as much as what you put in to your to your savings account and this is why this it's it's time is rocket fuel right time is the rocket fuel for your earnings growth so if the market goes up again we're going to keep the math super easy because it won't happen this way but let's just say the market goes up 10 percent a year that means any money you save in year one will double in seven years wow yeah so the money that you earn in your 20s will and save let's say in your 20s will double in your 30s, and then that will double in your 40s, and that will double in your 50s, right? So you're doubling what's already been saved up every, call it 10 years, if you get a 7% return, right? That is so powerful. Yeah. And, and, and let me just give you another way to think about it. If you start saving at the age of 25 and stop saving when you're 35 and just leave it alone and let it grow, yep. you will have when you're 65 the same amount of money than if you started saving in your when you were 35 and saving until you were 65. It's complicated, but let's just remember the math. You yeah. save for 10 years, you end up with the same amount of money than if you saved for 30 years. And that's yes. just because of time. Yeah, mind-blowing, mind-blowing. So now it, it clicks with me, Anne, because honestly, you and I are, are on the same path. I want to get to younger kids to develop a healthy mindset for mental fitness so they do have tools to deal with anxiety, stress, and depression. And the younger I get them, the more they develop the skills. You're freaking doing the same thing. You know if you get them younger that it really, really is going to help them in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, same thing, same thing. I love it. And then and then and then let's just go back to your to the person who wrote in who said they lost their job in the 50s, right? The yeah. you know, developing these good habits is not going to magically make all your problems go away, but guess what? When when you do hit that bump in the road and we all hit bumps, right? Yeah. Whether they're healthcare related, whether they're, you know, a job loss, whether there is a natural disaster, you know, like whatever it is, there's going to be something bad that happens to you somewhere, somewhere along the line. 
the more that you have developed these habits and have financial resources, the more smoothly you get to navigate these bumps. You know, that's true because look at Billy Bob, he had savings and that got him through the tough time. Like he was able to stay in his home and his kids stay in college. So think about that. Yep. That's huge. Yep. Absolutely. So he already had that habit of saving and he will go back to it. And I'm sure he knows what he has to do, you know? I mean, but I was just thinking that, wait a minute, he could have been one of those people that had no savings and then what? And then he's bankrupt and he doesn't have a home. Yeah. Yeah. And his kids really? are, you know, unable to stay in college or yeah. are taking up massive amounts of debt that are going to set them back yeah. on their own feet. So yeah, no, it's, it's, resilience is more than just having being able to write a check in the moment it's having the habits and the the game plan that you can go to and say i know what the game plan is right now yeah and i'm so glad you came on again even i'm like learning that i'm taking notes too my son who's 18 he's all into saving it wants to do and i said i'll take notes i'll take notes <laughs> i don't want to say but i might just drop the fact that he was thinking about investing in amc but I'm just going to give him your information. We'll go from there. Well, you tell me how that goes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, uh, before we go, though, I want to dive into some little fascinating things I found out about you. Uh -oh. I did not know which my son, his dream is, and we will go. He wants me to get a speaking gig in Tokyo. His dream is to go to Japan. And it says that you spent a year in Tokyo as a Fulbright scholar working for a member of the Japanese parliament? Are you kidding mm -hmm. me? Mm -hmm. It was a long time ago. I know, but still in all, was it fun? I need to know everything. It was great. It was great. So I, you know, the, my first job out of college was working for a senator in the U.S. Um, and then I went and got a, a master's degree in economics and Japan studies. So I was studying the Japanese political and financial system. And so I applied for this scholarship uh, and my research project was to compare the way the American political system worked and the Japanese political system worked like from the perspective of a staff person. So I went and lived in Japan. I, you know, they don't, I mean, it's a scholarship, but let me tell you, it was, you know, it was amazing to have the experience, but it's not like you were rolling in money. And I lived yeah. really humbly and simply in a Japanese apartment that was, I want to say maybe 500 square feet max. Um, yeah, I slept yeah. on the floor, you know, yeah. on a tatami mat. Um, I had like, there was no central heating. It was really cold. I had hot carpets on the floor to stay warm. Tokyo is like <laughs> Washington, DC. Like it gets cold there in the wintertime. And yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a hot carpet. So it was like an electric blanket, except it was the carpet. I would just come home and lie down on it because it was so cold. It was an amazing experience. I mean, I think the Japanese people are so kind and generous. And uh, I just had a fabulous experience. Um, and learned a lot. Um, I had some friends who had gone through graduate school with me who were in Tokyo that year too. So I had a kind of combination of Japanese people and uh, some of my American friends that I hung out with. And it was it was an amazing, amazing, amazing year. So did everyone speak English or did you speak Japanese? Well, so this is again, more of my um, background. I grew up in Honolulu actually. And my uh, junior high school and high school languages was, language was Japanese. So oh. uh, part of getting it, so I, had studied it in high school, although I learned it about as well as many high school kids learn a foreign language, which is not very. Uh, but then when I went back to grad school, I studied Japanese. And um, yeah, you know, I wasn't fluent, um, but I was pretty good. Um, and, you know, it got at the end when I could answer the phone and chat for a few minutes with somebody before they'd realize I wasn't Japanese. So it was, it was pretty good. So I okay. tried really hard to function in Japanese, but it's, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. hard work. Okay. So now... It's going to have to be a whole nother podcast about all your travels, but how the heck did you end up in Jersey from Hawaii? I need to know. <laughs> like, I was born in New Brunswick. Like my kids were born a mile from where I was born. So I was oh, going home. Okay. So, uh, no, I'm joking. I, it was kind of one of those accidents, right? Actually, my husband and I were living in Italy, so we can we can keep going on the foreign travels thing, but uh, we wanted to move uh, back to the States. You're killing me. And his... His company was located in, in central Jersey and I was going to be commuting into New York and I was pregnant. I was just like, all right, the reverse commute's not much fun. So let's say we both live in New Jersey. And, you know, I, I think as a mother with a new with a brand new baby, one of us ought to be close to home. So we're not both commuting to get home if something happens. And so, you know, it was, you know, either live in Manhattan or live in a nice suburban house with a lawn. And I'm like, I want the suburban house because we've been in apartments for about 
I don't know, seven or eight years. So yeah. it was like, I really want a house with a baby and I don't have to carry my groceries by hand everywhere because I'm kind of lazy. So yeah, that was, that was Jersey. Okay. All right. Totally because my husband's job was there. I, 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 I Do you go back to Hawaii often? Mm, not often enough. I miss it. Yeah. Okay. And then a fun fact, you hold three patents for the development of innovative <laughs> financial service products. Hello. Mm -hmm. And analytics. Yeah. So that's exciting. Is that something recent or for a long time? So, yeah. So two of the patents, um, uh, my team and I were awarded uh, back, I want to say 10 years ago now for the way that we kind of helped plan sponsors, right? These fiduciaries, your companies pick which target date fund, which employment mutual fund would be the best for them. And it was a way of kind of analyzing and predicting how they would behave in the future. Um, so we got two patents for that. And then we, my team and I also won a patent back uh, probably 2019, I think, 2018, 2019 for a, a brand new idea that we, we put into the target date funds that basically says, okay, you retire, you're 65, you've got, you know, whatever you have, $100,000, a million dollars, whatever. How do you figure out how much you can take out every year so that you don't run out of money before you die? which is we don't know when so we yeah. we kind of worked on a methodology for figuring out every year how much you could afford to take so that you'd basically try to run out of money when you died because you don't want to die with like a million dollars in the bank if you weren't enjoying yourself and like trying not to spend money because that's yeah, yeah. sad too right so you want to yeah. spend enough but not too much <laughs> or your kids might be happy <laughs> Well, and them. you know, that's, that's good too. But you know, unfortunately, a lot of people won't have saved enough, probably to continue living at the same lifestyle they were living before. And so they cut way back. And a lot of people I cut gotcha. too far back. So that's a different problem, I think. But yeah. so there's not saving enough. And then once you have to start spending what you've saved, it's really hard for people to start spending that money because they've spent 40 years saving. So they want to keep doing it. It's like, no, no, yeah. you can spend that now. It's okay. You're supposed I think to that's spend a good it. problem to have, Anne. That's a good problem to it have. It is, but honestly, a lot of people underspend a lot because they're terrified of not knowing how to how to spend it. Like it's sort of a good problem, but not really. No, no, I, I get it. And I, uh, by the way, I do have a few friends in that situation. I think I keep saying, don't they know how much money they have? But you're right. Their whole life they've saved, and now they don't know how to spend it. You're right. I told him I would help them, Ian. I would help. Well, them. see, we'll, we'll, we spenders will be there, ready. We're ready with suggestions. <laughs> and thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't get in that you want to say to the peeps out there? You know, I think we said this, but I'll say it again. Just be kind to yourself, and you know, wherever you are, you can make changes today that'll make it better going forward. Ooh, I like that. That's it. I love that. All right, my let's keep it real people. Come on and definitely kept it real. And we would both appreciate you sharing this with as many people as possible, rating it, liking it, subscribing. It means the world to us. And you know what I'm going to say? Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.